Welcome to the VBPH Sermon Podcast. This week, we're reposting sermons from last week's Bible Conference in Prescott, Arizona. Each day this week, you'll enjoy sermons that were preached in the evening services, plus one morning seminar for our Saturday episode. Even our free subscribers will get a full week of ad-supported episodes. But if you'd like to support world evangelism with early released episodes and an ad-free listening experience, then use the links in the show notes to subscribe today. Thanks for listening, and enjoy today's sermon. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Greg, and uh, for the uh, invitation. It's great to be here, and it's uh, a wonderful blessing after uh, three years uh, being uh, uh, locked out of international travel to be able to come back. I'd like to add my uh, thanks um, to the confidence of, obviously, uh, Pastor Wayman Mitchell, Pastor Greg Mitchell, for uh, letting me uh, minister the gospel and be a part of what God's doing and taking over that great church in Perth, Western Australia. i also like to thank Pastor Tom and Janice uh, for their 12 years in Australia and what a blessing they were to our lives and to our nation. Thank you very much for being a missionary in our nation. Let's look in our Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 8, verse uh, 18. I want to just look for a few moments and I've entitled this message, Parting the Dark Clouds. One of the early books that I read as a new convert in the 80s was a book of, about the life of Reinhard Bonnke. I was really inspired by his ministry, his uh, thought of a blood-washed Africa, uh, inspired every young uh, disciple's life. And there's a couple of stories in the book, um, uh, Plundering Hell and Populating Heaven, and it talks about his tent. He had a, a great gospel tent. He built a tent after a period of time, and they could sit 10,000 people. And he talks about how he went into uh, northern Zambia, and the people had warned him uh, at the base of this mountain that the evil spirits are there, and it's a very spiritual nation, Africa, and, and they told him the story that uh, an evangelist had come before him and set up a tent on that very spot, and, and the tent had been destroyed, uh, windstorm, and uh, that type of thing, and so, you know, uh, he decided to put the tent there anyway. He went ahead with that, and uh, in the process of time, uh, unfortunately, his tent was destroyed. A windstorm came and wrecked the tent. All the canvas was ripped apart. Uh, he lost uh, the, the canvas of that tent. Anyway, he decided he was going to re-canvas the tent, go on, and he took the tent to South Africa into Cape Town. And so he put that at the base of uh, Table Mountain there in Cape Town in a plane there. And, and uh, the same thing was happening again. He said he is out there, he's, uh, the tent's behind him, and he's seeing these uh, dark clouds come and very threatening. And people again telling him this is a spiritual area and, you know, there's, there's a spiritual assault going on. He's a missionary evangelist uh, in that nation. And he writes about as he's seeing this threatening thundercloud come in, uh, something rose up in his heart and he felt the Holy Spirit say, you need to speak to the devil and rebuke him. He's lost one tent and he couldn't afford to lose another and so he talks about going out in front of his tent and looking towards the plane and looking up to the sky and seeing those threatening clouds and he stuck his finger up there and says, devil, you listen to me. In the name of Jesus Christ, if you destroy my tent, I'll build one three times the size. 
I rebuke you in Jesus' name. He said, quite amazingly, something began to happen. Those dark clouds began to part. He talks about watching this and they went and they went all around uh, his tent, uh, did not damage his tent at all. Uh, but then he's uh, thinking as the, you know, the, 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 the hours are going by, he's thinking, listen, I, I haven't finished here. He went back out and he says, devil, actually, I haven't finished. You might have stopped the wind uh, and, uh, and uh, put the uh, storm away, but I want to go on record, I'm going to build a tent three times as large anyway. Hallelujah. I'm not making any deals with you. And so I want to ponder uh, parting dark clouds and the faith that we need uh, for this in this uh, text here. It says in Matthew 8 verse 18. Let's have a look at a couple of verses. It says, when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now when he had got into the boat, his disciples followed him and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea. So the boats were covered with waves, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? When he'd come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, uh, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. I want to stop just there for a moment. Let's consider parting dark clouds uh, and uh, first of all, in our text, we see the thought of the other side or going to the other side. You know, man has a tendency to venture uh, in life, uh, uh, venture and go forward. But many times we come to a place where we only go so far and stop there. When I was in Papua New Guinea, which is a nation to the north of Australia, I went to a museum there and as I'm looking through this museum in Port Moresby uh, in Papua New Guinea, they have many of the uh, same kind of uh, artefacts that we have in our indigenous people in Australia. They had boomerangs and I thought boomerangs are only in Australia but they were in New Guinea. They have the same type of spears, they have all those similar types of things showing us that they're a similar people group. One of the things that I found differently in the, uh, different, in the uh, museum there, they had this massive boat uh, that the uh, uh, people in New Guinea had built that they were island hopping and they migrated from north and we believe they came down to Australia. And so as I'm listening and talking to uh, uh, those that were there, I was really interested in this story. Obviously, as man has migrated, and, and so they came down these great boats uh, uh, into Australia. Australia is a massive continent, and I was interested. There's no such uh, record of any boats in Australia. 
that the indigenous people uh, have built. They had small little dugout canoes just to went around the coast. Uh, but they said to me, in one generation, they lost the skill or the knowledge of building boats. So they only ventured so far, but then they stopped. And I would say this is a tendency of mankind that we only go many times a certain distance. We have a tendency, we want to settle down. We can even forget what has brought us to the place we're at at the moment. We think of the Tower of Babel, the story in Genesis 11 uh, verse 2. The Bible speaks, it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, they found the plain in the land of Shinar and dwelt there. So you say, why are they journeying east? Well, the Bible's very clear, uh, just two chapters earlier, when God blessed Noah and said to him, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. So it was a command of God. God had commanded them to go forth, but they come only so far, and here they are in the plains. They're building a tower which top reach heaven. You know all the false religion and rebellion of mankind, but they ventured so far and stopped. This is a tendency of mankind. In our text, Jesus gave a command, and in this command, he said, we need to go to the other side. If you look at our text, I read those few verses, and uh, this is connected here, verse 20 and 21. Bible speaks about some disciples and uh, even a scribe coming to him, uh, and uh, uh, said, uh, Jesus said, foxes have holes, Birds of the airs have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Here it is. Jesus had just commanded to go the other side, and immediately there's concern about security. And Jesus said, look, it is somewhat unsure. We're not dotting every uh, I and crossing every T with the other side ministry. There's going to be some unknown factors there, and he begins to talk about that, but immediately there's concern about security if we go to the other side, go have a look at there, verse 21. Another disciple uh, said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. The other issue here is family. We're challenged and commanded to go to the other side, but we're always thinking, well, what about my family, my family responsibilities, and all of those things that have their place, but immediately you see this. Many times we venture only so far, but perhaps the thought of, the thought of family kicks in and Jesus addresses this. We like to live within a certain comfort zone, don't we? The other side and other side ministry can scare many. I want to look first, secondly here about the command given. We see the where, verse 18. Then Jesus saw the great multitude about him and he gave a command to depart from the other side. Barnes notes said Jesus was in Capernaum. This was a city of the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. The country which he proposed to go was the region of the east of the Sea of Galilee, a totally new area, a non-Jewish area, a region steeped in Greek religion and culture. So the where was the other side, a place and a people unlike us, a different culture, even perhaps a different religious base. This was the where. Look at the timing. 
It goes on and speaks about this in our text. Uh, the Bible speaks uh, in Luke 4, 4 2. Uh, now, when it was the day, he departed, went to a deserted place, and a crowd sought him to come to him uh, and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God in other cities also. For this purpose, I have been sent. So this is a companion text, but it's interesting, both those, Jesus' ministry is successful. So the where is the other side, is people unlike us, is a, a, a culture sometimes not like us. And then we look at the timing. In both those texts, the call and the command, amen, comes a time of increase, of blessing, of growth and favour in their present location. If you see that in our text, uh, uh, and then also in Luke 4, the crowds were trying to keep Jesus uh, and they tried to stop him leaving, but he says, I must go to the other side. There is other places I must preach. What about the other side for you and I? How important is the other side to you? How important uh, is regions beyond to your church? There's a book uh, I've read reread a bit recently, again called Planting Missional Churches. And he makes the statement that church planting is essential. Without it, Christianity will decline in North America. I would say Christianity will decline all over the world. But he's an American who writes this. He goes on to say, studies show that if a denominational fellowship wishes to reach more people, the number of new churches it begins must equal at least 3% of their fellowship's existing churches per year. It goes on to say, based on this formula, mainline fellowships and denominations are failing to plant enough churches to offset their decline. Without church planting, denominations and fellowships will decline, but more importantly, the number of Christians will continue to decline. I was intrigued by that. What's he talking about? We know in any country, any location, there's a certain percentage that you need to have of childbirth of increase to keep your population viable. They've worked out that out. We know in Australia, well, I think we're 1.7 children per you know, couple or family. That's not enough. So we, we bring in immigration because we know as a country we'll decline and die out. But that same, is, that same principle is true uh, in churches and in fellowships. And I began to think about that. He talked about 3% just to hold their own ground per year. So what would 3% be for us? You know, we've just clocked over 3,000 churches. That would be 90 new churches every year. 90 new churches in our fellowship every new year. I asked Pastor Greg a couple of months ago, I said, you know, how many new churches have we planted? He said, during, from January 2021 to January 2022, in the midst of COVID restrictions, the net gain, this is including those that have come back, is 242 new churches. <laughs> Hallelujah. Between 8 and 9% of our total fellowship every year we're planting. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. Wagner said the single most effective evangelistic methodology under heaven is planting new churches. He says that's because church plants can often engage people within a lost culture in a way established churches cannot or will not. Thank God 
Thursday and Friday is church planting nights. Thank God we're not just holding our own, we're planning to take the world. Hallelujah. In our text in verse 18, Jesus saw the great multitude. Thank God for that. Where he was at, there was success, but at that moment he gave a command. We must go to the other side. One of them consider dark clouds gathering. Dark clouds gathering. In the Reinhard Bonnke story and plundering hell and plundering hell and populating heaven, he talks about that second dimension where he, after he rebuked uh, the windstorm uh, and the clouds and part of the clouds, he thought, you know what? I'm not going to make a deal with the devil. I'm not going to, you know, and, and tell him now, okay, that hasn't happened. I'm not going to build a bigger tent that are going to hold three times as many. He went out and spoke. He said, I realized it was a point of spiritual warfare, he said. I feel that was a critical point for me, and I wanted to make it clear. I wanted to make it clear, and he goes on to say, I have no agreement with you, Satan. I will build a bigger tent anyway. He went on to build a, a bigger tent that was 36,000 people could fit into his over three times as many. You know, no doubt there is a temptation for many to make a deal with the devil. We have a look at Matthew 4, verse 9 and 10. This is the devil speaking to Christ. All these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your and him only shall you serve. If you look at this text, if the devil's trying to make a deal with Jesus, he's trying to make a deal, isn't he? No doubt he would endeavor to bargain with you and I. He would endeavor to bargain with you and I. One of our pastors in Australia, he told me a story when he was pioneering in North Queensland. He had to have a time where he went into the local hospital, had some issues with his family, young families, pioneering a church. He happened to meet a, a, a pastor that had been in that city for a good period of time. And he, he went up and introduced himself and told him that he's pioneering a church and he's believe in God and he's praying for the sick and he's reaching out. And, and so the man kind of looked at him and kind of a little bit laughed and snickered. I used to do that. I used to believe that. And then he began to tell a story how he had a time where his daughter got really sick and perhaps even in that same hospital. And he told uh, him the story basically. Uh, I mean, it's like the devil said to me, if you continue to do this, uh, I'm going to take your children. That pastor admitted to our pastor. He said, basically, I pulled back. I made a bargain. No doubt the devil's trying to still make bargains with people. Is he trying to make a bargain with you? Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, 
Our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe, because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. We think about, uh, I mean, Moses. Moses in Exodus 2 verse 21. The Bible says, Then Moses was content to live with the man, and he gave him Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses. We know this is when he had fled from Egypt. His failed attempt to deliver on his own uh, uh, terms or in his own way, in his own strength. And the Bible uses that word, he was content to live with the man. That word content, uh, if you look in Strong's, uh, it says uh, mental weakness, to yield, to assent. So it gives the thought here that Moses at this time, in his relationship with God, was willing to give up on the stirring and callings of he was, he was content. I'll just, I'll, just live here. I'll just stay here. The deliverance, people of God. It's pretty hard stuff. The Bible speaks about he was content. We can get content, can't we? We can get content. No doubt there is resistance to the other side ministries. No doubt hell would try to come against that. 20 years ago, Perth Conference in March, I had come over a couple of days early from uh, over east and, and uh, I'd gone down to our, our relative's farm. My mother's side all have farms down southwest Western Australia. Uh, I was wanting to show my kids they've been brought up in the city their whole life, a little bit of their farm life. Which was, anyway, I was wanting to teach my uh, older son a little bit how to drive. He's probably early teens. We uh, had a farm vehicle which was like a small pickup truck. We call them a ute. It was only a very uh, uh, narrow um, back to it. And we'd st- we could stand, people stand up in the back and hang on. Anyway, so I said to him, we were doing a bit of driving around. He's doing all right. And I just said to uh, my son, look, just drive back up to the farmhouse and it's not far. And it was kind of up on a bit of a hill. Me and my uh, uh, young daughter were on the back and we were going to let him just drive and my two sons at the front. So he's learning how to drive. This is a vehicle that has a clutch and a gear stick. So it's not automatic. So, you know, he's on an incline and he just drops the clutch and the vehicle just flew forward and I flew back. I'm literally flying through the air. My daughter's flying through the air off the back of this uh, a pickup truck. I'm trying to catch her and, and uh, you know, make sure she's okay. I land on my back. Felt, I, I felt like I broke my back. I put my uh, hand down just as you do. And so I'm there and, you know, I'm in trouble. My daughter, thankfully, I, I rescued her. God bless you, Jess. Amen. Love you. Uh, and uh, so... Here it is. I, I found out later my, my, my wrist swole, swole up. I broke my wrist, uh, had all that. So this is me now coming into conference. got a cask on my arm. My wife had also had a bit of an injury. Um, you know, she, um, one of the kids kind of accidentally uh, you know, got up and, and head-butted her. And she had a broken nose. So we were kind of broken people, amen. <laughs> anyway, we come into that conference just 20 years ago. Pastor Wayman Mitchell gives a call. We need to re-pioneer New Zealand. We'd lost nearly all our churches in New Zealand. We need people to go. 
And I'd felt a couple of years earlier a stirring for New Zealand and you know, I'd, I'd mentioned that to the leader at that stage and a bit of stirring, but I put that on the shelf and he didn't say much about it and so I'd shelved it, I hadn't thought about it and, and so Pastor Mitchell on Monday, we need to pioneer that nation, we've lost ground, we've lost churches and, and so anyway, I went and spoke to the leader at that stage the next day and he said, Daryl, what about you, why don't you go to New Zealand and that was probably Tuesday, Wednesday night, I'm talking to my wife about, uh, you know, we, we need to make a decision about what we're going to do and as we're in the hotel room at the conference we're talking about New Zealand we're thinking our ministry is just starting to really go well in Australia our kids are settled in school and they're, do, they're, they're doing well in school and uh, uh, you know uh, then I thought well, pioneering again we've kind of you know we've done that before and there was some tough times a little bit in the beginning for us and you know thinking about repioneering thinking about going overseas is a financial challenge you know, I, I knew that there was going to be financial challenges involved. So listen, I'm telling you, as we're talking about it in the motel room, dark clouds descended in that room. Dark clouds. Self-interest, financial issues, family issues, dark clouds. That Wednesday night, we said to each other, we're not going to do this. Look at our text, verse 23. Now when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him and suddenly there was a great tempest arose on the sea. So the boat was covered with waves and he was asleep. The message version said, the next thing they knew, they were in a severe storm. So here the, the command, go to the other side. They get in a boat, they're following Christ, but a dark clouds, dark storm comes rolling in. Can I ask you a question? You ever experienced dark clouds that are threatening your obedience, your calling, your walk with Christ. See, the demonic realm resists in particular other side ministry. He said, we need to go to the other side. We say, why does it resist? Well, number one, hell hates obedience to the Great Commission. See, obedience to the command to go to the other side opens the door to destiny the windows of blessing, the gateway of Christian advancement. The demonic realm resists because of potential, because of the future impact. It's incredible what we're a part of. Pastor Greg talks about how a church was put in 1978. Could you imagine just one going there? We had a conference just a month or so ago and the building's packed in Perth. One couple from here. You know, Perth has grown and under the ministry of Pastor Mitchell has been there three times and other pastors, Pastor Payne. And I'm thinking from Perth, you know, we sent a couple in the Fiji. That's a conference center today, servicing all the South Pacific. We sent a church, the Perth church long ago into London and the work of a conference center, planning churches all over. Perth sent in Papua New Guinea, a conference center. Into Harare, Zimbabwe next month. I had the privilege of going there, their first ever full Bible conference in that nation. 33 churches there. See, the devil hates that potential. And think about the souls in our text. As soon as they got to the other side, Jesus rebuked uh, the wind and the waves. Amen. Here are two demon-possessed people to meet you on the other side. But their lives were so radically changed so powerfully delivered 
the potential and the souls. You know, in a parallel text in Mark 5, the Bible says, now they came to Jesus and he saw the one who had been demon-possessed, who had legion, sitting and clothed in his right mind, in the posture of a disciple clothed, right mind. It's a miracle. Thank God for that. You know, 42 years ago, another couple from this congregation were the ones that started the Geraldton Church. You know, when they left America, their, their furniture, when, when they were taken across on the ship, all got waterlogged and got destroyed. They had setbacks in their own lives and ministry. Lots of different things they had to work through new country. But, you know, finally in February 1981, on Valentine's Day, they started a new church in my city. Oh, thank God. They had a concert in the town hall. They didn't even say it was a Christian concert. My wife, Jillian, she wasn't my wife then. She went there. She's up the front dancing. They're just dancing, they're having a great time and, you know, the bands are playing and all this kind of stuff. And, but then at the end, that pastor got up and preached. There's over 200 people came out, young people. 26 got saved. I think about six or seven of them went into ministry that got saved that night. Oh, thank God. I was a little bit late. I came the weekend after the Bible prophecy movies and later on I got saved at one board out of season. Amen. A couple of months after my wife got saved. But thank God for that. This is what we're talking about. We're going to look at finally just quickly parting the clouds. What did Jesus do here in verse 26? He arose and rebuked. He arose and rebuked. You need to write that down. He arose. You're facing dark clouds. You need to arise and rebuke. You need to rebuke the demonic assault. Bonky had one tent destroyed uh, and one enterprise fail, but he says, I'm going to rebuild, uh, amen, uh, and it, it, it looks like it's going to happen again. Some of you pastors and missionaries know you've seen this before. It's happening again. Losing converts or losing ground. You've seen it before. It's happening again. He arose and rebuked. So parting the dark clouds of demonic assault, parting the dark clouds of self-interest. You know, what was the deciding factor for my wife and I on that Wednesday night? And then we came into, well, Wednesday night, we decided we're not going to go. But Thursday, thank God for conference. And God began to speak to me, uh, amen, uh, about the will of God. And I remember I'm sitting there on a Thursday morning and a missionary's preaching the powerful gospel and it's stirring my heart. Uh, amen. And tears are coming to my eyes uh, as God's speaking to me. Uh, and in my heart, I'm saying, God, if it's you, I will not disobey the Lord. That's one thing I won't do. And so just at that moment, I get a tap on my shoulder and the pastor needs to see you, uh, the leader. What are you going to do? And I said, well, we're going to go. Thank God for the preaching of the word of God that parts the dark clouds of self-interest. Thank God for rebuking the dark clouds that come against financial insufficiency. Do you know, can I give you a quick story? They used to believe in Australia that Australia was a resource-poor nation. This is pre-1950, early 1960s. They believed there was no natural resources. We lived with wheat and farming and basically sheep, and they were our main exports around the world. They didn't believe there's any resource. You know, one day, a man is flying up north of Western Australia in his light plane, and he's in a storm. He wants to get out of the storm. He's up north of WA. He wants to get out of the storm, and he gets under and tries to part the clouds. And as he's getting down closer, he comes into a, a, a valley, a dry valley up there, and he sees it, and it's like uh, red in color. And he knows something about minerals, and he thinks this is oxidized iron. 
he began to make uh, claims up there and, and mining rights. And, and this is a man named Lang Hancock uh, who began to uh, then export iron ore. Do you know what they found? Uh, that Western Australia has enough iron ore to service the world. His daughter now is taken over, Gina Reinhardt. She's the richest person in Australia. The, her, her worth is $31 billion. God's got some money, can you say amen? In your city, in your area, he's able to do that. One of them quickly bring it to a close and say, what does your other side look like? What does your other side look like? Hebrews 10 verse 34, it says, we are not those that draw back. C.T. Studd, another hero of faith, said, most like to live under the sound of church or chapel bells, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. He was good to his word a missionary to China and impacted his generation. See, pioneering is risk-taking. Going to the other side involves risk, but Psalm 107, 23 and 24, those that go down to the sea in ships, do business on great waters, they will see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. You know, in the book, Unto the Ends of the Earth, it actually says deep within the Australian temperament is a love for adventure, a willingness to risk, a yearning for new frontiers, easy to believe since the nation was a pioneer nation. We just had the privilege just uh, last month of announcing a young king couple into the nation of Pakistan. That's a pioneer spirit, a new nation for our fellowship. Hallelujah. How exciting is it? We're not the only pioneer nation. Your nation's a pioneer nation. There's something, many nations represented here, there's something in our spirit In our companion text, uh, in Mark 4, verse 35, uh, it says, let us cross to the other side. And when he left the multitude, he took alongside in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. I want to bring this to a close. So here's Jesus, he gets in a boat. But this here in Mark picks up, it it was his boat, but there were other little boats that followed Jesus to the other side, to the other side, to regions beyond. I want to finish with one last closing illustration. 1940, King George VI of England, he declared a national day of prayer because it was their darkest hour. Adolf Hitler and the Nazis had literally swept through Europe. The Allied army were trapped on the beaches of Dunkirk and Calais. The Nazis had them surrounded. The German army had them surrounded. They could have lost their whole arm. The king called a national day of prayer. This is our darkest hour. The prime minister at that stage, Winston Churchill, rallied himself, and I believe by the hand of God, rallied a nation. They had their troops stuck on the beaches of Dunkirk, 300,000 men, their whole army. The professional navy said, there's not much we can do. It's very shallow there. We don't know if we can reach them. At the most, we can reach 30,000. They're on the brink of losing all their men, perhaps the whole war. A national day of prayer to part the dark clouds of, of tyranny. But, uh, but uh, Churchill had an idea and he said, we are a seafaring nation. England, we live on an island. And he began to challenge not just the Navy, but everybody to get involved. He said, every boat that is seaworthy, we need to send to the other side. There's a few pictures here up on the screen. 
He asked, and literally thousands of little boats joined a professional army to go to the beaches of Dunkirk. And in nine days, they rescued 350,000 men, saved an army, and saved a nation. And it wasn't just a professional, it was a lay movement. It wasn't just big, it was small. It wasn't just big churches are going to reach the other side, it's smaller churches. It's all of us together playing a part. Those brave men says, we will not surrender. They even sent back a telegram, but if not, what they were looking to is the three Hebrew young men. We, we were not going to bow. We know our God's able to rescue us, but if not, he will not bow. Everyone, well, most of them were rescued. Do you know, four years later, listen to me, four years later, many of those same men went back on D-Day. In 1944, the people that were rescued were now older, more experienced and trained. They went back to liberate all of Europe. Englishmen were joined at that stage with other nations. United States were a part of that. Canada, France, Australia, Czechoslovakia, Poland, Belgium, Netherlands, Norway, New Zealand, Greece went back to the other side to liberate more and liberate all of Europe. Jesus gave a command, I'm closing now, depart and let's go to the other side. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.